Good morning and good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Random Trek. I am your faithful time-hopping captain, Christopher Ingle, and joined as always, my faithful non-assimilated first officer, Brennan, the mystical Mar. Brennan, how are we doing? I don't think Nazis ever took over my house. <laughs> At least I certainly hope they never did. No, but it would make for an interesting story to tell. Indeed. Indeed. Well, today we are taking a look at Season 2, Episode 4, The Watcher of Star Trek Picard. Uh, this was the most recent season of Picard. Uh, it only came out in March of this last year. Um, and, you know, was mixed to a lot of people in, in this season. Uh, but, Brennan, before we get into this, I, I want to take a quick departure from our normal repartee mm -hmm. uh, to talk about a pretty serious thing that has happened. Um, in the last week, uh, as we are recording this, um, uh, in this season, we are actually presented with another depiction of the Borg Queen in an alternate reality. Mm -hmm. uh, and that uh, is played by the amazing Annie Wershing, who I love. She was in Timeless uh, a show that I thought got canceled way too soon. Uh, and she's done quite a other things, but now is a Trek alum. Uh, and and does a oh, because of the current success of The Last of Us, mm -hmm. those yes. who may not be aware, in the original game, she was a performance scout for, for Tess. Yes. The character uh, Tess. Unfortunately, last week, uh, due to a fight with cancer, we lost Annie Worship. Mm-hmm. Um, very not expected for us. Uh, and we felt that since we were going to be talking about Picard, uh, this specific episode, I thought we'd take a moment and just Brennan and I kind of talk a little bit about her performance in the entire season, because Brennan and I both agree that this is a really interesting take and that her and, uh, uh, Allison Pill or it's Al uh, Girardi, Allison, Allison Pill. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, had really great chemistry. So Brennan, what are your feelings on Annie Wershing's performance uh, throughout this whole season? Well, she's great. She's great. She she isn't just doing an Alice Craiga impression. Mm -hmm. This board queen, like the other board queens, is different. Um, mm -hmm. And she's very creepy mm -hmm. and very snarky and, and very mouthy, wouldn't that argue? Mm -hmm. uh, her relationship with Agnes Gerardi is great and I think that the bringing back a board queen to be in this episode was a brilliant idea I really love it for the whole season I'm mm -hmm. going to be honest and it's a great character and a great arc for not just Gerardi but a different direction for a board queen um, we haven't seen something like this yet, and yet we have, and I love that. Um, for me personally, in Lurie looking at this today, there are looks that she gives to Gerardi as she's talking to her mm. that I'm gonna say it, I like her better than Alice Craig and Susanna Thompson, who have also played the board. Interesting, I it, there's something about you it, know, and I, it I could wouldn't be... necessarily disagree. It could very well be that this is just fresh and that, you know, there's a little softness on the heart of, of us losing her, you know, and we here in the Star Trek universe 
you know, we we mourn the losses, and this is new. You know, she was new to to all of this, and mm-hmm. does such a good job in this season. And it's sad that we're not going to get to see more of her, uh, as this was very unexpected. Um, but let let's just take take a moment uh, thinking about this season. What were some of your favorite uh, Annie Wershing moments in this season? Well, just any time she chose that snark. It's hilarious. Uh, and the whole idea of the way the story begins and ends in this season with, um, the you know, Morg attacking the USS Stargazer. Once it all comes together at the end, you go, oh, wow. And the idea of having Gerardi and the Borg Queen almost combined so that everywhere Gerardi goes, the Borg Queen's in her head. Mm-hmm. And there's those scenes where the Borg Queen's talking to her, but no one could see her. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah, for me, uh, definitely I'm thinking of uh, the episode two of one, uh, where we we <laughs> we see the performance of Gerardi doing Shadows of the Night, which some people say it's cringy. You know what? I was in for it, but the no, look I that she <laughs> the look she gives to her after out right after that song, it's like I got you, I got you, gotcha. and I I love that. Or or they had her sitting in in that uh in that room uh and you originally it's just and it, it's just Allison Pill sitting there but then the camera shifts and you see the board queen right next to her and you know that she's in her head and you know uh there's I'll I'll spoil it right now there's a quote that um really I love from episode 3 which almost ended it it's it's you impressed me mm which is a dangerous thing to hear from the board queen. You impressed me. Oof. I mean, like, whoa, what is the that result in? And we get to see that manipulation, that chess match that is going on in this episode. And we'll talk about it. But Annie Wershing, it, I, and I, in fact, I could be wrong about this. I think Annie Wershing is seen in more episodes right now as the board queen than any other actress has done it. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think so. So she she just, was in seven episodes of the card. Yeah, and I I can only think of besides first contact and two two instances in Voyager where Alice Krieg did it. Susanna Thompson did it the rest yeah. of the time, but I don't think either one of them came close to seven seven episodes as the the board queen. You got it. Uh, I'm very impressed. Uh, I I just I I'm so happy with her performance in this and it could have been kitschy it could have been like oh we've got a borg you know and yet she brings her own personality to it and yet it's still that horrific scary borg queen that in the end you know that combination of her personality as well as gerardi's this is two actresses working really well together to create one character in the end and it's a beautiful performance i agree you know, so we, you know, we will talk more about the Borg Queen in today's episode. But uh, with the loss of Wershing, we wanted to give uh, respect, as we do on this show, to those uh, in the Trek universe that we lose. Uh, so, you know, uh, Annie Wershing, rest in rest in power, mm-hmm. um, and please don't assimilate me. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, yeah, I wouldn't mind. I, I, I don't know, man. I don't want the Borg Queen in my head. I just, I don't want that. Sorry. I don't know. Andy Warshick was a redhead, so I have no weakness for that. <laughs> that makeup, too. That makeup. Is it yes. not the most amazing for her? The best. Yes. So far. Amazing. Oh, I love it. Oh, it's so great. And yeah. they're use yeah, and they're using too the same um uh 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 photography techniques that they used for Alice Krieg in First Contact. We talked about this last week. The mm. uh the, that that shoulder f epic having her up on the wires when you see the long shot with no legs, they're using the same techniques. I mm -hmm. love that almost 20 years later, a little less than 20 years later. Those I mean, techniques are still being used. Let's be fair. That visual effect in First Contact mm -hmm. is flawless. Yeah. This is cleaned up quite a bit. And they don't have near as many long shots to go with off of that. But you do see them. Uh, and I, I love it. I, I enjoy it so much. But again, yeah. uh, our, our major respect to Andy Wershing. Uh, and hopefully she enjoys this from wherever she is. I hope so. So, Season 2, Picard, The Watcher. What are your feelings going in, Brennan? You know, because this series is very story arc, and because that's sort of the modern standard for streaming, yeah. is it's hard to remember what certain episodes, like what happened in that episode. So when I rewatched it, all the memories came back, and I went, oh yeah. And I really enjoyed this episode. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like this on a second watch. First watch, I was a little... It is it is a little slow. I will say this season has some good action pieces, but overall is a little slow. You're asking a lot. What is going on? What is going on? What is going on? It's a very lot. slow character development. But that doesn't make it a bad thing. No, in it, fact, I would like to say just real quick, there's been a discussion online. Well, not really a discussion, but the concept of what is filler and what is not filler. And I think filler is definitely a term that gets used way too liberally. Mm -hmm. Just gets used way too often. I think that in this episode, there might be a temptation to call it filler. But the stuff that happens in this episode is essential mm -hmm. to the rest of the season. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, 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 like I said, I enjoy it. It's just a little slow, but on a second watch to it, I really enjoyed some more of the details that I yeah. missed mm -hmm. and I just, I I'm enjoying that. So let's, let's get into kind of a, a brief rundown of what happens in this episode and then we'll, then we'll pick it apart. Um, so the, the lost Serena has come uh, back in time via a uh, slingshot around the sun. Cause of course, what's a star Trek without going back in time, going around the sun yep. mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, with the Borg queen's assistance. They land in 2024 uh, uh, France. They crash land right outside the, the Picard uh, Chateau. Chateau Picard. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
but it's completely abandoned. And as Picard explains to us, uh, it's been abandoned since World War II when the Picards, who were from France, escaped through tunnels underneath the chateau and eventually found their way to England for, uh, for uh, sounds like a couple centuries. Explaining the accent. Yeah, they would explain the accent. Um, which is a clever way to do that. I, I, a little touch. No, I nice think he touch. did say that Picard's moved back in. He, oh, later, wait. he said would still be uh, it would still be generations. Oh, so yeah. That's why I, I, I guess I figure, in, in this timeline, no. Yeah, so I would figure maybe, let's say, 200 years, although your family yeah. held on to it for 200 years. Way to go. That's so this, this is only 80 years after, so yeah, I'd probably... Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah. Uh, so the uh Girardi and Picard are in the chateau meanwhile seven uh Rios and um and uh Raffi are in LA trying to find what's going on Raffi and seven are looking for Rios who got injured uh and is taken by ice agents mm. uh, he's been taken by immigration with uh with uh this doctor uh it's Isabel isn't it Dr Isabel I should forget uh, anyway, the the doctor who stitched him up, uh, both of them got uh, taken by ice agents. Yeah, it was an ice raid on the clinic. Mm -hmm. uh, so they are on a quest to find Rios and keep him from being uh, uh, sent to Mexico. Which deported, is, basically. Yeah, basically would be deported. Um, meanwhile, Picard uh, figures out with Girardi. Uh, remember, Girardi was at the end of the episode inside the Borg Queen's head to get information. And yes. she won the fight. However, yes. there's still some rattling going on in Gerardi's head. And she incidentally uncovers the number 15 three times accidentally. And Picard it's, a, it's a Ray reading Carla Wren's line. Carla Wren reading Ray's line. Yeah. Uh, but they figure out that the time change will happen on April 15th, which is in three days. 2024. 2024. Three days. Uh, so... Uh, Picard uh, knows they have coordinates. There are coordinates, they just don't know what they are to. So Picard beams over to these coordinates and is taken to 10 forward in LA. Yeah. 10 forward street, which we met earlier in episode one of this season, yeah. where we are going to meet Guiden. But instead of it being Whoopi Goldberg, we are given a treat uh, we are uh, introduced to Ito Agayere. Forgive me for messing up the name. Uh, Ito Agayere. I think that's right. Uh, anyway, uh, she is the third actress ever to play Guinan, and this time she plays a young Guinan. Uh, who who's, the, who's the second one? Oh, uh, her name is Isis Jones. Do you remember the one where Guinan was turned into a kid? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, counts. yeah. It counts. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So uh, Picard meets her, but she doesn't recognize him, which time travel shenanigans, we go with it. Uh, she doesn't recognize him, uh, but Picard basically says, I know you're an Allurian, and that gets her attention. How do you know? And she thinks Picard is a danger. Um, and he, he talks to her and talks her down and says, you're important. You're going to help me stop something from happening. But he doesn't tell her his name. Uh, but eventually he he says something that gets inside of her head and we hear echoes of, of Whoopi Goldberg's Guinan and him talking uh, and she has a little sickness. And what we find out 
uh, is the the introduction. Well, it's not the introduction. We've seen this before yes. in a different way. The Afkelt, which is a unique sickness that happens to Alorians. When a time shift happens, an Alorian is sensitive to it. We saw this we saw to this. a small degree in yesterday's Enterprise. Yes, we did. Next generation. Uh, and to, again, a certain extent, I think the Nexus stuff, I think she's aware of it there too, which is a little sensitive to it. Uh, yeah, the Alorians are a very interesting species. I want to know. I would actually watch a miniseries just on the Alorian people. Though there is something about the Enigma that's kind of fascinating. That's true. It's kind of like how we don't know a lot about Yoda, and like yeah. we kind of don't want to know. You I don't want to know. And I, I mean this. I believe that that Guinan is the Yoda of of yeah. Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Absolutely right. And I'm okay with that. I'm very okay with that. Uh, or in a deep cut, the Bendu. Yeah, okay. Okay. Uh anyway. Those who are listening, look it up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh she eventually decides to listen to him. She's getting ready to leave Earth. She's given up. She's her bar is sold. She's giving up on humanity. And Picard convinces her that it's worth it. It's worth it. They were worth saving. Stay, stay. Eventually he gives in and tells her his name. And something in her resounds, and she reacts. Now we don't know why, because she doesn't recognize him. But again, I think the the timey wimey sensitivity, maybe that rang something else in her bell. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So she agrees to help him, and she's going to take him to this person named the Watcher, who are described as like supervisors. Which Picard yeah. thought she was. Yeah. Picard thought she would be that, but she's not. Uh, we'll be we'll introduce the supervisor watchers in a minute, but mm-hmm. um, she takes him to a park, uh, and this little child with with blind eyes shows up and uh, basically says, "Kind of get lost, or I'm gonna kick your butt." And Kynan's like, "Yo," uh, and so she takes takes Picard so far, uh, and then the the child just kind of oh what and just walks along her way like nothing happened. And then a fruit or a, a food stand guy gets the same eyes and takes them. And like it's kind of this passing off, and and the mm-hmm. uh, watchers trying not to be followed. Uh, and eventually Picard is led down this tunnel and meets uh, the watcher who has their back turned. But when their back turns, uh, we see that it is another than he's uh, uh, Ela Brady. I think that's her name. I was yeah. I think it is it's none other than. <laughs> It's Ela Brady. Uh, now, who's Ela Brady, you ask? Well, Picard's good friend and potential love interest, Laris, the Romulan from season <laughs> one and this season, uh, also plays uh, this young lady as well. Um, and we weren't expecting it. And unfortunately, the episode ends at that point. Uh, but that that's that arc. We still have Rafi and Gerardi or uh, Raffi and Seven, who go and hijack an NYPD car, or a, a LAPD car to go find out where uh, uh, where Rios is. Uh, and through running through the streets of LA, they get transported to where this bus is. Uh, they manage to get uh, uh, down there. Uh, and, you know, we go from there. But uh, that's the next episode. So they're on their way to save uh, Cristobal. Uh, Rios from a deportation. Uh, but that's how our, our episode ends. Or did it? Mm. We are treated to an, a rare end credit scene. 
where uh, we meet a young lady that we've never seen before. A young lady who happens to be reading a Dixon Hill novel. Mm. Yep. And we, we hear Q narrating, almost like uh, he's trying to put thoughts into this young lady's head uh, that you need to give up. You need to quit. It's not worth it. It's dangerous. And he goes to snap. And she laughs. And Q quickly realizes that his powers will not work on her. Hmm, I wonder why. It's a very interesting thing that we've never seen before. Uh, and with that, the episode does end uh, very much on a cliffhanger. We we don't know what's the deal with this Laris-looking woman. Uh, uh, although uh, she does have a connection to another character that we have met in the past mm -hmm. in TOS. Uh, and we go on. So, Brennan, let's 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 break this down because there's a lot to this. Okay, um, I I want to start and then work our way back. The the Laris connection with the the supervisors and the watchers. Can you fill mm -hmm. our audience in as to who the the watchers, the supervisors are? All right. So, in the final episode of season two of the original series. The Enterprise encounters a man named Gary Seven mm -hmm. and his cat Isis. Mm -hmm. Turns out Gary Seven is a time traveler sent by a mysterious species to keep an eye on humanity to make sure everything on Earth proceeds as it's supposed to. Mm -hmm. And it looks like Laris is part of the same organization. Yes. Well, as, as we do know in the next one, this is not Laris. This is not Laris. Yeah, not Laris. Uh, but she looks a lot like her. And it isn't until the end of the series that we confirm she is indeed a Romulan in disguise and may or may not have been an ancestor of Laris. It's possible, but it's not verified. But it's very possible. Uh, hence the connection. Um, but she's a fascinating lady. But I really love this bringing in of something very innocuous. I loved Gary Seven. Um, Gary Seven actually was supposed to be something Gene Roddenberry created as a spinoff. It was going to be its own series of of the watchers or or the supervisors or you know yes. I don't think there was a name to it, it but this character was going to be the focus. This it was what they call a doctor pilot, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just uh, like the episode um, of Mandalorian. The tragedy was a doctor pilot for the book of Boba Fett. Yep. Um. Unfortunately, it did not work, uh, and the studio just did not bite. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, Star Trek's ratings were slowly already starting to go down yeah. by this point, and so I don't think they were taking any risks. But it, Gary Seven has always been this fascinating kind of anomaly, this kind of spy. We didn't fully understood what he was, other than he was there to save, you know, what's going on. Uh, and what's funny is that the the watchers are described as self-proclaimed guardian angels interesting so instead of focusing on on like a whole group or a major they focus usually on one individual 
and make sure that that person's destiny, that person's timeline is not messed with. They complete what they want, are there to complete. Uh, and, you know, spoiler alert, the young lady that we met at the end credits mm-hmm. is Renee Picard. Renee Picard. Who is Jean-Luc Picard, one of Jean-Luc Picard's distant ancestors, uh, and is a very important role in space travel in history. The Europa mission. Europa mission, right. Um, and so we eventually find out that she's part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, again, the performance of her here, we don't get much of it. But I love the introduction of her, and especially her her transport technology. So cool. It's like a doorway, a clouded doorway. In fact, we'll get there in a minute when we talk about connections, because I've got something interesting there. Mm-hmm. It, it is really interesting. I love it. Um, one of the other things that I really like that I didn't think I liked it, I don't think I did at first, but I gave it another chance and I listened, is this developing relationship that we're building between Rafi and Seven. Yes, because... Um... I think that the way season one ended and they were suddenly somehow a couple was weird. Even though they never spent any time together on screen. Mm-hmm. You're right. This gives it a chance to actually build that relationship. I really love the the uh, what's going on here. I mean, both of them are dealing with some serious discombobulation here. Raffi feels guilty about the death of Elnor. And Raffi, of course, being Raffi, won't talk about it. Right. She won't. But Seven is also jostled here, too, because no implants, no Borg, no, you know, and being in a relationship with someone is still a very new thing. We saw that she tried to do it with Chakotay, but didn't fully succeed with uh, Now She eventually had the the inhibitions released by the doctor, uh, the EMH. We know that from Voyager. They worked to do that. But We've never seen her put those into effect. So seeing these two together in a very high stress situation was so great. And I love that Seven uh, Seven is driving this car. And they're fighting like an old married couple together. And I love it. Raffi, Raffi is us in reality. She very much is distraught and wants to save Rios and, and is feeling that guilt from, from Elnor. And I love that Seven is Seven is like she's just distraught. We'll go sit over there. Thank you for your public service. She's being real polite. And then they go out, and Raffi breaks into the car. Yes. And is like, I got it. Let's go. And what? 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 Just get in and drive. So Seven is Shanghai into driving and goes on this high speed pursuit through L.A. to try and get to Rio's. And it's a lot of fun. Um, it really is. It, it is a lot of fun. Um, it's so great, but I think, um, you know, as, as we mentioned, the highlight of this episode still is this development of relationships. I mentioned this before a couple episodes back, building of relationships. We have a building of a relationship with Seven and Rafi. We have a building of a relationship with the Borg Queen and Jurati. You got it. And the whole new building of a relationship between Picard and young Guinan. Yes. And I love this. I love this paired up kind of thing. Oh, and then actually wait. And Rios and and uh I think your name is Isabel. Oh no, Teresa. It's Teresa, not Isabel. Teresa. Teresa Ramirez. 
This is what I get for not writing the names down. She was very pretty, by the way. She, she's very, yes. Uh, but there's a building of relationships, too. So we have four relationships that are building here at different levels, in different ways. And I love this. I'm enjoying this so much. Um, I, I gotta know, Brennan, which one of these four, at this point, looking at this episode, which one of the four did you like the most? I like the War Queen Girardi, but I really like that. I would agree with you, but seeing old Picard deal with young guys yeah, okay. That's true. is just so great because he's like he he knows he he trusts, you know, and he uses the word trust, which she does not like. She does not like the word trust. Mm. You know, this yeah, what is what's her quote? She says something about that. I, she does trust. She mentions trust. Hold on. I bet I have it. Hold on. Let me see what she says. Trust. Yes. Um. Oh, hold on. I what's actually funny in this too is she does that, but the Borg Queen and Gerardi also have a conversation about trust. <laughs> yes, it's true. Uh, it's an interesting choice. Um, let's see. Oh, beware the beware the species that has not yet purged that word. They're simply begging to be conquered. Help, trust. Uh, that we have the board queen and Gerardi, yeah. Mm -hmm. But Guinan has a trust issue too. Absolutely has a trust issue. Mm -hmm. You know, she has no faith in humanity, and then this guy walks in, knowing her deepest, darkest secret. She's freaking out. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I I enjoy that. And then Rios is building trust with Teresa. All yeah. of this is about building relationships, and what is the foundation of any relationship? It's trust. Mm -hmm. I've got your back, you've got my back, and I'm not going to let anything happen to you. And it's really something that I didn't notice as much the first time I watched it. I love this. I, I mm -hmm. absolutely, absolutely love this. It's it's just so good. This is mm -hmm. so, so great. Um, Anything else in this episode that really stood out to you, Brennan? Well, I mean, going back in time, time travel stories are always fun. Uh, going back in time, seeing this, uh, you know, LA twenty twenty four, um, and seeing the culture shock for our main characters, mm -hmm. trying to understand the past, um, but also just getting to see these neat little Easter eggs for us. Um, were really into Star Trek and getting to see the just just the joy of a classic Star Trek story of something got messed up mm -hmm. and we had to fix it. Mm -hmm. Kind of Star Trek storytelling. I love uh, I love Girardi's line too about preventing butterflies. Just a subtle reference to the idea of the butterfly effect. Mm -hmm. I love that. I absolutely love that. And butterflies actually appear periodically in, in these episodes and patterns and pictures. And it's kind of a neat little subtle touch. And I like that. I really, mm -hmm. really enjoyed that. Um, Anything in this episode that you weren't a fan of? That I wasn't a fan of? Oh, yeah. 
I mean, I'm not going to say it's the greatest episode of Star Trek. I don't necessarily think it is. Um, I think that... Oh, man, that is a good question. I mean, nothing unless it really becomes more of a nitpick. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't really think of anything that... Except maybe for the fact, and this is just a a minor little detail. For a show called Picard, he's not really in it that much. And <laughs> to be fair, Patrick Stewart is quite old now. And we thought he was old when he played Picard 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, but he's quite old now, so I can understand that. He's not in it that much. And uh, I don't know. I've always been a little bit. uh, Maybe it's just me. But Seven of Nine's personality. In this entire series. Has been quite different than it was on on Voyager. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe almost too different. I wonder. Hmm. I I don't complain too much. I think there's a healthy balance between the the four different stories going on at once, mm-hmm. and I like that. I do like there's a healthy balance. I I don't know. For me, if I were to nitpick at anything. I would say I, I kind of wish I'd had more of the seven Raffi relationship enough to really, really care. Like, yes. I love them yes. as characters. I would absolutely agree. I love them as characters, but I'm still not there, even after watching the whole season, of them being a couple. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I'm not saying they can't. I think the chemistry is there. We just haven't stirred stirred enough yet. Stirred the fight, yeah. Yeah, we need to a little bit. Uh, Maybe so, season three will. We'll I see. hope so. Well, I what I'm really open with seven. We know seven is going to be the first officer. Yes, I'm hoping Raffi is part of that crew too. Uh, she's a lieutenant commander, if I remember correctly. I think she was ranked lieutenant commander. I, think. I thought she was. Uh, or was she a full commander? Was was she, she? I thought she was Picard's number one in on the. Um... Whatever she was. I gotta double check. Uh, I do know we're gonna have some other issues with her. Probably her dealing with personal demons, so we may not see her in an officer's uniform. But once she's not emotionally constipated, apparently. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. Uh, but like I said, nitpicking. I wish we had a little bit more of that. But everything else develops very nicely to the point that, like the the natural resolution that I see in the different relationships absolutely makes sense the joining of gerardi and the queen by the end of it makes sense when you build it from this point uh rio staying behind yes with, with teresa yes. i call i called that i knew he wasn't coming back it's Not sort just, of the reverse of star trek 4 yeah he decided to stay and i kind of knew he was going to uh and then in you know outside outside the show i knew he was not signed to come back for season three so I was like, eh, all right, we know. Uh, which is okay. It's okay. I liked his character. I think it served its purpose. I would have liked a little more Rios because I loved Rios in the first season. 
wanted a little bit more, but yeah. the, the balance in this is okay. If those are my only nitpicks, this is not a bad episode to go, and probably overall one of the better episodes of this season. I think I would agree. Absolutely. Uh, now for the fun stuff. Oh, yes. How this connects to the greater Star Trek universe, and how oh, can I boy. not start out when the episode starts out with Mr. Kirk Thatcher on the bus, still rocking yes. the mohawk, still playing I Hate You Except on the part, same boombox. It's called I Still Hate You. I Still Hate You. <laughs> and some the things never that, change. And the fact that she says something, and, like, and you see him kind of reach just for his neck a little bit. No, no, I, I, I just really like that song. <laughs> yep. I love it. Yes, Kirk Thatcher. I'm so glad Maybe you're there. he moved away from San Francisco hoping to avoid that. Here's the thing, actually, I find is trippy. Think about it. If he let's let's just hold for a second and say he was like 20, the character was 20 years old back in 1986. Mm-hmm. How many years later and he's still rocking the Mohawk? 2024? So we're almost 40 years later. Guy would be in his 60s, 50s, 60s. An still old rocking the, mo- the still rockin the Mohawk. Yeah. Way to go. Love it. That was great. And of course, we absolutely love Kurt Thatcher because he is. Yeah. He's got his fingers in so many projects. He he absolutely does. Kirk Thatcher is a big name in Star Trek. He and not just at, like for Jim Henson Productions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. ILM. He worked for ILM. He was a prop maker and sculptor. Fact, here's a funny little detail. So in Muppets Tonight, which came out in the late 90s, one episode, Beaker, for his birthday, mm-hmm. goes on a Star Trek convention cruise. While he's on the cruise, of course, he meets George Takei, who basically bores him to death with stories about Star Trek. And then, um, but as they're out to sea, their ship collides with the Battlestar Galactica cruise ship. And as everybody's panicking, a guy in a Starfleet uniform comes up to George Decay and says, we need you to take over. We've hit the Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. And that guy is Kirk Thatcher. It's a funny little Star Trek Meta reference. Yeah. Uh, there are other really great references to other Star Trek in here. Yes. Just fabulous. Rios, uh, when he's being loaded on the bus, uh, it said he's being sent to a sanctuary district near the border. First time we saw the mention of sanctuary districts in this time was DS9 in the episode Past Tense Part 1. Which I have to confess, I've not seen. Oh, wow. But that was the first mention of sanctuary districts. Yes. Um... Of course, Gary Seven. Yes, Gary Seven. The teleport, uh, the ability to teleport the way he does. and in fact, I, I love that. A similar visual image mm-hmm. is used in this episode as it was for the way that Gary Seven would transport into his office uh, in, in the original episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Uh, you know what? Actually, here's another funny thing. This is the first appearance of Guinan without a hat. 
Yes. It's a weird thing. Like, I wouldn't think of that. First appearance of Ganon without a hat. Uh, oh, wait, with one exception. Uh, Generations. In Generations, in her that, quarter, she true. didn't have a hat. Uh, but otherwise, you always saw her with a hat. Uh, also, in her bar, Picard picks up a bottle of Saurian brandy. Saurian brandy. Okay, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. <laughs> also, the way that she pulls the shotgun out. Yeah. Behind the bar reminds me of that one episode of Next Gen. Uh-huh, in season two. Where she pulled rifle out. Yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, Picard also refers to Guinan as his oldest and dearest friend. Of course, uh, this was referenced twice, Best of Both Worlds Part 2, as well as Time's Arrow Part 2. Time's this is Arrow. Brought up, yep, Time's Arrow, both brought up multiple times. Um, and I kind of want to clear this up because this was a question I had initially when I watched this. I've had more time to understand timey-wimey. And as a Doctor Who fan, now it makes more sense. Yes. Why didn't Guinan recognize him? In my brain, I'm going, wouldn't she have known him because Picard saw her in the eight, in the 19th century? But uh, then it hit me. Okay, I'm thinking, I'm not th- I'm t- thinking one-dimensionally. I have to think four-dimensionally. So mm-hmm. here's the deal. If the timeline had been changed, which we saw that it was, and we got to have the Confederation and not the Federation, that means Time Zero never happened. That means Picard never went back in time. So timey-wimey, when they go back, the Enterprise never went back. Therefore, Picard never met Guinan. Yeah. So we're, in a weird way... Dealing with an altered alternate reality. Crazy. I, I don't quite understand it fully, but timey-wimey, it makes sense. And because she, even though it never occurred, in that timeline, being a Lorian, she could sense that... I think that's why when he says his name... Mm-hmm. I think that's why she senses. It, I think, yeah, it's still that time, that that time sensitivity that she has. Yeah, that had to have set it off. Yep. Um, uh, Rappy says to Seven, "You could pilot a starship, but you can't drive a." And they're, they're getting into yep. an accident. Mm-hmm. This is also reminiscent. Archer and T'Pol in the episode Carpenter Street, when they were sent back in time, stole a Dodge Ram and had a very similar line. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, now uh, here's the one that I did not pick up and I had to do my research at the, during the ending, when we see, uh, Rene Picard come out of the Europa building, mm-hmm. the name of the place is the Jackson Roy Kirk Plaza. Yeah. Now, who is Jackson Roy Kirk? You ask? Well, I'll tell you Jackson Roy Kirk in the Star Trek universe is the inventor of the Nomad MK 15 C probe. And which we saw in the changeling, the changeling. So yeah, there's another little callback that I really, really, really like. Um, the the paper that Q is reading is full of little little Easter eggs. Um, it mentions Christopher Briner trying to prevent the unionization of a company. Uh, Bri- the character of Briner appeared in Deep Space Nine's past tense parts one and two, helping Jadzia get used to the 21st century. So we saw this character before. And they brought that up in that little thing. It was it was really nice. I like that. And the license plate on Guinan's car is S02E01. You got it. Which references both the first appearance of Guinan in The Next Generation and 
the first appearance of Guinan in Star Trek Picard. How fun, right? Mm-hmm. I love these little things. Actually, I wouldn't. I would have been happy if it just said like NCC one seven, just like even un- incomplete, just like something like that. I'm like, oh, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. Mm. <laughs> oh man, did I miss anything, Brennan? There is a lot to cover. There is, uh, of but course, like, the Dixon Hill novel. Oh, the Dixon, the Dixon. That's Hill. right. That's right. Dixon Hill. Yep. Yep. It, it fact, is. Somebody calls the card that. Mm-hmm. Is it Girardi that? Girardi. Yeah. Yep. It's like look at you, Dixon Hill, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Fun little. And considering that we had a little bit of that last week on our show. Yeah. With uh, First Contact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love the Dixon Hill stuff, but it's it's absolutely great. So, uh, uh, your favorite moment, maybe even your favorite quote. Ooh, let, let me bring up the quotes here. I got to take a look at that. Well, favorite moment. Oh, man. Well, okay. It's hard to beat the Punk on the bus moment. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, wow, favorite moment, man. I mean, the stuff between Girardi and the Bar Queen. I mean, that's yeah. good stuff. It is great stuff. There was one more thing that I, I forgot to mention. Um, the stuff with Christabel and Ice. Star Trek has never been afraid of shying away from topical discussions. Never. Hey, yes, I agree. And um, it is definitely known that in this country, the treatment of deportees is uh, not exactly the most stellar. No. How do you feel about Star Trek's portrayal through this this lens of these detention centers? Well, I mean, since I know very little about them, I don't mm-hmm. know how accurate it is. Of course, mm-hmm. considering this is in a alternate timeline, who knows? I think it gets the point across pretty well. Mm-hmm. Without necessarily saying Look at how awful we are, but more showing that Rios, uh, being a, I guess, technically speaking, uh, an illegal alien, to, um, <laughs> is experiencing this. But it, it's just interesting to see that. Well, certainly the ice people aren't portrayed very flatteringly. Which actually brings us to what might be my favorite moment. Mm-hmm. Which is when Rios just tells the whole truth to the officer. <laughs> and the guy's like, yeah, uh-huh. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I do think that the, the idea of... Actually, what's funny is that they're not deporting him. They're taking him to they're the They're taking center, him but... to those sanctuary cities. Yeah, but it, it, it which, was which yeah. if you understand past tense means 
Uh oh. <laughs> True. But whether it's you know a center or something like that, historically around uh, around there's been a lot of debate about the uh, about the humane treatment of individuals in these places and centers, and you know. So it's just one of those things that as I was watching it, 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 it hits you pretty upside the head to me. And not in a bad way. Like, this is just a real thing that these are people, you know? And I think they were trying to make that point that these are people. How could you not yeah. care? How yeah. could you lose them? Uh, and, and, of course, we don't want to turn our show political. But you can't help but notice. Well, Star people. Trek has always been political. Yeah, so. it's never been afraid to go in those directions. Um, uh, which brings us also to my favorite quote. Mm-hmm. Picard tells Guinan, history's darkest moments can be a tipping point for change. Mm -hmm. Star Trek, that's Star Trek in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, I I I love the 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 trust and the board queen comment. That was mm -hmm. really good. But something struck me and it just made me giggle is Gerardi talking with Picard. And she's like, I can just imagine the little Picard running around going, milk, chocolate, hot. Like, that's mm -hmm. funny to me. I enjoy that. And that really shows this building, again, building of trust between Picard and Gerardi. Uh, this relationship that's happening. I love that there. she calls him Mr. Mr. Yeah. Which, and they do that consistently. Always consistently. And I love it. I enjoy it so much. It, yeah. The nicknames the characters have for each other is great. Mm -hmm. this is a great episode it's it's an awesome fun trip um and for this season like i said it's one of the high points if it isn't the best developed episode uh it's got to be pretty close to it yeah i mean for a season that that i loved and i know people had sort of up and downs with it if they liked it at all this is pretty good Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? I'm a little saddened that um, that Alison Pill did not get an Emmy nomination for her role in this. It's so oh, good. And I mean that. I'll, I'll, I'll stand on that hill. You know, now that I think about it, everything she does in this season, mm -hmm. like later when she just possessed by the war queen and becomes more like right. assertive in that looking seriously hot in that red dress. <laughs> I mean, to, to everything she does, I mean, I think you're right. It, this, she she yeah, was really good. This series garnered four primetime Emmy nominations. Uh, unfortunately, none of them in acting. All of them more in technical. Uh, in of course. One in, yeah. one in fantasy sci-fi costumes. Yeah. One in uh, period character makeup. Uh, which probably was Annie Wershing, if, yeah. if I had to guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, outstanding prosthetics, also probably Annie Wershing. And the, and uh, the ears, although there is. Oh, the ear, ears. Yeah, that's well. You don't have to have the ears. Well, we'll see. Uh, and then sound editing for a drama series, for a one-hour drama series, but no acting references, which really makes me sad that even like Star Trek is never really. Saturn Awards that. didn't look at them, and you know the it's Hugo Star Awards. Like, there's some good stuff here. Really Star good Trek stuff. It never had much luck with the Emmys for acting, and it's a shame because you, you, I mean, like Patrick Stewart alone. I could think of a handful of episodes: Inner Light, yes. uh, Chain of Command. Yes, why Patrick Stewart was not nominated for some of that, or 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 even uh, what is it, Family? 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, why yep. are we not looking at these? These are awesome, 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 awesome performances that I am very happy to see. Uh, and it, it Patrick Stewart alone will give you a masterclass in acting. But Alison Pill doing double duty eventually in personality of the Borg Queen and, and Gerardi is fabulous. It's yeah. so good. She is probably, you could argue, maybe gives the best performance this season. Yeah. Even over Sir Patrick. Mm-hmm. It was nice as that nice out. Of the 10 episodes, uh, this was at, surprisingly, two, three, four, this was only, it looks like the sixth highest rated one. Surprisingly, oh. uh, episodes one, two, five, and six were given a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes, whatever that's worth to you. Um, but surprisingly, only uh, only beat out slightly by episode three. Now, but it still had a but basically, I think about an eighty-eight percent on Rotten Tomato, eighty-nine. That's not terrible. No, what's no. that? I love this. This is this is really great. Uh, a lot of fans didn't like it as it went along, and it's kind of sad. I mm-hmm. I enjoyed yeah. it, uh, but this is a good start to it. And if this tells us anything about season three, and I've we're heard the some all... rumors about season three. I have not that it's paid... really good. I have not paid any attention, other than my man Moriarty's coming back, and that's all well, I care. My about. rumors, I mean, I've heard rumblings that it's really good. I hope so. I really, 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 really hope and, so. In fact, I heard that from someone who notoriously doesn't like new Star Trek. Ooh. And yet, even they like this season. So, awesome. Final thoughts on this one. See it. It's good. Yep. Um, it's fun. It sets up some of the later material. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has some neat little connections. It's it's absolutely worth the watch. Absolutely, definitely a highlight for me. Uh, next week, next week is a very very special. I've I've been talking about this for the last few weeks, and it's happening next week. We finally go to a TOS episode that is an absolute must watch, bar none. Yes. We finally get to watch episode fourteen of season one, Balance of Terror. Yes. All things work out. Our uh, original first guest on this show, Mr. Steve Morris, will be joining us to discuss this seminal Star Trek episode. It's, Which it's... might be one of, if not the best of all time, Star Trek. Top 10 any Star Trek? I I would argue it that it is even top tier television, period. Yeah, I would because, agree. And we'll talk about it the references to to submarine warfare and what some of these writers would have been mm. going through when because they had to have experienced this you can't tell me they're not silent service and u571 and you know all, all of these submarine movies that take place during world war ii you can't tell me this isn't influenced by it and i'm so excited to talk with an expert uh on on original series uh, and we get to really hear mm-hmm. uh, that perspective. And I love this episode. I'll tell you now, I have nothing bad to say about this episode. And I can't wait to go into depth about it. Indeed. All right. Brennan, where can the people find you? Well, you can find me 
on Twitter at Brennan Mystical. On the Hive at Brennan Marr. On Facebook at Brennan Marr. You can follow our podcast on Twitter at PageTurners underscore pod. Uh, you can follow us on YouTube at PageTurners, they were not. Where I just, uh, we just released um, our Star Trek First Contact video discussion. Uh, and you can find me on various social groups that I'm involved with. Awesome. And of course, you can find me uh, here on this podcast regularly every week. Uh, and you can also find me on Twitch, on Twitter at CEngle1984, where I am getting ready to do a run through of the Halo games on Twitch. Mm. Uh, that'll be a lot of fun. I'm I'm looking forward to that. I got a good controller now for this PC, so I, I can't wait to uh, to share that and, and to uh, go through it for the first time. Uh, I actually only played Halo 1 and 2 growing up so all these other halo games i'm really excited to have a, have a shot at them mm. awesome ah but as with every episode brennan we leave you kapla and live long and prosper peace and long life